guys kind of you guys do edit the conversation down we, quite we a bit. do edit. so it's, we okay yeah. that's good that's good rhyme or free it doesn't matter to me it's my bad poetry good day and welcome to my bad poetry a podcast that is currently wrapping up its second season, yet can't seem to get the order of episodes right. Because after dropping our wrap-up blooper outtake reel, we have with us today our last guest of the season, Sean Killingsworth, whose work can be found published in Blue Earth Review, Typehouse Literary Journal, Stonecast Review, Glass, A Journal of Poetry, Poets Resist, and many more. She is the anthology editor for Marin Poetry Center and the curator for Second Sunday Poetry Series, which sounds like a classic writer's intro. But there's a twist. Not only has she brought with her this impressive resume, she has brought along a friend. Paulina Grinbaum is also joining us as witness and co-writer to a work of poetry fit perhaps only for this podcast, which I am dying to get into. Sean, Polina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're Happy so excited to be, to be here. Yeah. Um, this thrilled. This is uh, very exciting. You get to end our season two with... Um, uh, two people. I mean, we, we haven't had two guests on the show at once, so we'll see how this goes. I think it's fitting that we still have three people on the show, and yet Dave is unable to make it today. He's he's with the in-laws, so sorry you, you can't experience the, the bubbly joy of Dave, but <laughs> he sends his <laughs> greetings. Uh, well, we'll miss him and uh, hopefully can connect another time. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking forward to meeting him, but now um, we'll have lots to talk about when we do. Exactly. You and um, Mitch, we, we owe a, a session with Dave. So we'll have to bring you bring you both back on very soon. So yeah. Awesome. Well, then, like I said in the intro, the poem that you have <laughs> submitted for us is a doozy. <laughs> so I want to get to that as soon as possible. And to get us into the realm of poetry, typically Dave reads a hastily written poem. Dave's not here, so I had to do the hastily written poem today, and he's been doing the string of autobiographical poems, so I thought I'd, I'd take a swing at this as well. So here is my poem uh, to bring us into uh, the realm of poetry, uh, and I'm going to title this one, Driving Distracted. <clears throat> Navigating the narrow roads of a new town, the dog pants in the back seat. A sour smell of her breath stings the nose, with lingering sense of meals unknown. With one missed turn, the mind returns from its musing. Why is the dog in diapers this time? <laughs> oh, the poor maligned dog. I mean, <laughs> does she really deserve this? <laughs> uh, you know. I mean... I'm sure it doesn't want to be in the diaper. No, she hates it. Um, now she's famous for it. Yeah. I know. So I mean, they're... what a thing to be known for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bella's getting her shout out today. Um, <laughs> she gets these almost biannually. She has a very anxious tummy, our poor little oh. dog. Luckily, the vet was was not too worried about this bout, but it was an unpleasant couple, <laughs> yeah. couple of days. So. <laughs> There's never like a fun story when the dog is in diapers. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
never a costume change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the dog was in diapers. Yeah, like, exactly. Great. That sounds like a great weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to dwell too much on our uh, my dog's diapers. So, Sean, I have to say, I think uh, you are the first poet to officially use our email to submit a bad poem. So we are honored that you used that. And uh, very excited. I, I try very hard to follow directions. <laughs> so. Unlike me. Um, <laughs> it's one it's probably one of the handiest things about being friends with Sean. She reminds me to follow the directions. I try to not follow directions when putting together her first child's crib. Oh. Ah. Um, and she was like, no, you like, please just read them. And I'm like, it's a crib. But she was probably right. And there are like 72,000 pieces. But they're all really pretty straightforward. But yeah. she was right. I'm going to say she was right. Like in that one, she was right. Yeah. You know, yeah. baby on floor, not a good, not a good look. No, for the no. Godmother. Then I'd have to come over and like fix it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, I yeah, this dynamic is already very promising to the, <laughs> the poem that you co-wrote. We'll see how yes. many rules uh, she kept you to uh, when you wrote this. It was a different time. It was, <laughs> it was a different time. Well, we will yes. get into it. So we've been keeping the listeners in suspense. What poem do you have to share for us today? This poem is called 11192, Leshko's Coffee Shop and Home Cooking, New York City. So this was written, you might imagine, in 1992. At Lesko's coffee shop. Yeah, we were sitting in, in the coffee shop, right? Okay, don't interrupt me. Follow directions. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. I'm allowed to say that to her. She totally is. Not okay, okay, I'm going now. 111.92, Leshko's coffee shop and home cooking, New York City. She sits with a news rag, dreaming, head aching, her otherwise perfect teeth stained with coffee and cigarettes, vile residue that clings much like the residue that clings to her life. The man. She cannot find enough topol or a big enough brush to be free. She dreams of past kielbasa, red dyed animal flesh and lard, and definitely not a metaphor. Shared in tender moments with the man, breaking bread and wine and meat and memories that will rot in her stomach till eternity's next sunrise. Or perhaps she will yak it on the floor where it will stare up at her like a dog, pleadingly, hoping someone will clean it up like she wishes someone would do to her life. Her headache grows a tumor like the one in her soul, the one implanted by the man. It is malignant, not benign. It eats her away at every breath, leaving pieces of her everywhere, on sofas, in cafes, on benches, and hardwood floors all across the city. The FBI cannot figure out what is happening to this mysteriously decomposing cherry spread of a chicky poo. She weeps, and hot tears messily drip salt water onto newsprint ink smears that cover her face and neck. She hurls the New York Post across the cafe. The man must end 
Someday, she vows, someday this must all come to an end. She is tired of picking up the pieces after herself. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Wow. I knew that there would be a home for this poem somewhere someday. <laughs> I'm and glad I'm you kept so it. I'm so thrilled to have found that home. 30 years later. <laughs> the 30th anniversary. Oh, oh man. Oh, my God. You're right. Oh, my God. It That's is. Incredible. It's 22. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is like a moment. We need cake. <laughs> we, yes. Oh, my God. Why do we have cake? <laughs> we need yeah. cake. So wrong. This, this, is a, this is a celebration. First of all, I'm impressed at your reading abilities to get through this. <laughs> Without laughing. Without laughing. <laughs> was not easy. Uh, I was, I have to admit, I was holding my breath. <laughs> oh, and for the listeners who, who cannot see this typed out, every time the proverbial man shows up in this text, <laughs> it is complete caps. Uh-huh. The man Mm -hmm. at least once per stanza Mm -hmm. so um you're speechless aren't you yeah (laughs) i i understand yeah Yeah. you would think you would think this gets easier with with every time we do this but um to to hear a poem this bad (laughs) just it takes a moment um i understand yeah you, you have to give us some context here. So we know we're sitting in a coffee shop in 1992. What are you willing to share uh, that, <laughs> that that inspired this work of wonder? Well, so first of all, Polina and I have been friends. We had already been friends for several years before this poem yeah, was burst into the world. Probably like four or five years. Four or five point. years. So we knew we already knew each other pretty well, and we were very much on the same wavelength. And you know, we were sort of escaping from New Jersey into New York City, which was big and exciting and sparkling. But we were also cranky because we had been in fairly disappointing relationships and so you're just kind of sitting around together drinking coffee in what should have been a fabulous escape but just feeling I don't know dissatisfied and you know we started complaining to each other and I remember pulling out a notebook and saying we've got to write some of this down you know because the it wasn't totally vitriolic because there's no real insult or injury that we were suffering from, but it was just, ugh, I didn't get what I wanted and now I'm mad. So, and, but some of these lines, like Alina really said, like literally really said, what was the one that kills me? Eternity's next sunrise will rot in her stomach until eternity's next sunrise. And I just thought, this is a gem. This, this <laughs> needs to be saved for posterity. I mean, so I want to be clear. So one of the things we both were staying at a friend's apartment in these where we actually spent actually a lot of times at this coffee shop has since closed which is hmm. tragic super sad but it was one of the many sort of eastern european and so there's a lot of like pierogies and hmm. you know and, and bad coffee being drunk here anyway so we were there and it was our first our first semester in college right it was okay. the end of that it was our, right. our first it was winter it was break. winter break okay. yeah and so my friend was living in New York and lend us her apartment to hang out in. And, and it was just kind of interesting because around this time, you know, it was like my first love was, you know, I was sort of in this, like, 
it's not going to work out, but like, I think if I just find the right words, it will. And then also around the same time, you know, I was reading a lot of like, I was, I had just read like Susan Faludi's Backlash. I was starting to also realize that the man might actually affect my life, (laughs) you know, like it was hitting me. It's like sort of, it was sort of the beginning of like third wave feminism, right? So sure. It, it was this moment of, of hearing, you know, Alanis Morissette and Jewel mm. and Liz Fair and feeling like, yeah, you know, there is sort of this powerful movement happening where you recognize that things aren't necessarily fair between men and women and how it can feel like an injustice. And then looking at our own lives, we're like, yeah, we're not really suffering. Actually, we're just cranky, as I said before. So like this poem became almost a parody of the genuine, you know, pain that people were feeling. And, you know, we were sort of living our nice little suburban privileged lives. But so we thought, you know, let's at least work this into something that's fun and funny. I think, and I think also it was, we had made kind of these joke poems before, like we're both writing poetry, obviously, Sean is a accomplished and amazing poet now but you know I was writing a lot of poetry that kind of basically had a lot of these themes um Mm. (laughs) or like not so much a political one or I mean I use political in quotes here at this moment I would actually say like it was also around the time I was probably discovering third wave feminism or engaging with it too but anyway I think that it was also this kind of cathartic way of like also mocking ourselves oh, right sure. for sure and we you know we're spending a lot of time we knew we're really involved in each other's like romantic lives you know as young people tend to be mm-hmm. yeah. and like you know it's that thing of like you're having the same conversation over and over again and this was a way to kind of free ourselves from that a little bit and just yeah. like how rid- you know just being aware of how ridiculous we were Yeah, there's definitely an acknowledgement of this sort of self-indulgence that you go into when you're, you know, 18 or 19 and feeling beleaguered by your romantic life (laughs) and how it's not working out the way you wanted it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So. Exactly. And like, yeah, and that thing of, you know, I definitely wrote a lot of notes to people that I was, you know, dating or not dating, just thinking that if I just find the right words, they will finally realize like they will have the same feelings that I have or they will basically react the way I think they should in my head you know yeah all things that like you know all those veils have have fallen away um (laughs) in the 30 years since um (laughs) which may be uh which is best because and actually the person that was you know had this these feelings about like I think I now write it's like yeah that that wouldn't have like that wasn't a good long-term fit but <laughs> yeah in so, the moment though you were very you were real. feeling it yeah no that resonates so much with me that idea of like if I can only find the right words you will love me as much as I love exactly you. <laughs> I just need to express it in a way that will capture this magic and <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but and I actually, on the other hand, was writing a lot of poems that were kind of intended to help the reader, you know, the romantic interest person, to help him understand just the multiple ways in which he was not living up to expectations. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and so if I, I'm my goal was to sort of phrase it in a way that was sufficiently blunt that he'd be shocked into understanding, oh, I've got to change. 
And she's going to tell me how, right? I told you I was bossy. It goes back years. Oh, no, it really does. <laughs> I, I want I to, you wanted to tell them bluntly how you felt. So you went with the route of poetry. <laughs> of course. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? I mean, I wanted to be artistic about it, okay? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just wasn't one of those, like, sit down, like... Now I'm feeling like <laughs> I I did not actually have the tools for that until much later. Um, I really, yeah, I, rational conversation comes way. much later in life. Yeah, <laughs> it totally does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Along with boundaries, um, I will say there's a, there is a couple references here that I feel we had to excavate. Sure. So I feel like we should share those. So Please the do. first in the first stanza, it says she cannot find enough topol or a big enough brush to be free. I completely forgot what topol was. It was a very heavily advertised toothpaste oh. in this in the in the 80s and it was like basically the smoker's toothpaste like it was supposed to it was supposed to like whiten your teeth and yeah. freshen your breath. Wow. Yeah. And I've for some reason <laughs> it was like I mean, I had completely forgotten about yeah. this. I didn't actually know what to even Google because there's an actor that has this, that is oh, quite sure. well known, that has this name. So I was like, okay. And then I'm like, it's a brush. <laughs> so I either had to be hair product or toothpaste. And toothpaste, uh, it is. Here we go. And also, you know, to put people back in the 90s mood, you could smoke um Almost everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Yes. Uh, inside. And I think inside this coffee shop specifically. I was not a smoker, um, mostly because I felt like that was a really good way to rebel against my parents who were heavy smokers. Mm. Um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of logic. Um, the <laughs> other one that we wrote is the mysteriously de decomposing ch cherry spread of a chicky poo. I, yes. <laughs> so Sean claims I wrote this, which I'm, I'm proud to take ownership of that. Um, I'm fine with it. But actually, so I was trying to figure out what I was referencing, and we were having blintzes, which like are, it's sort of a thin pancake with like filling, oh. and it had this sour cherry spread that you put on top. I actually thought it was a hoagie spread, which is basically like chopped up pickled cherry peppers, which is a very mm. common in the middle Atlantic states. And then chicky poo is actually was a... Term it was the term of affection. Yeah, that the guy that this poem was inspired by used to call me, you know, call me up and be like, hey, Chicky Poo, let's go, you know, to the diner or whatever. Okay. So, this is a Jersey, this is sort of a New York this is a Jersey, Jersey thing. thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> let's call a like, that's a, that's, yeah. A, yeah. This is very specific to a place. Yeah. I would never think of Chicky Poo as a, Term of endearment. He was a little irreverent. Oh, yeah. fair enough. I fair think enough. it was like the joke was in there. Like it sure. wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it that it was so ludicrous that yeah. it was in there. Just, Just kind of ran with it. Yeah. 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 Those are, I think, the two. I mean, there's probably others, but those are really the two that I think is the most confusing. Uh, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious because you have this this returning. Um, in the opening stanza and the last stanza, you talk about the the news rags, and then at the end, the New York Post is is hurled across the cafe. Like, was there <laughs> something in the news that maybe you were aware of when you were writing this, or 
Was that just like a, another representation of the man? <laughs> That's a good question. I actually don't remember. I think, again, this was a long time ago. Sure, and, and yes. So I don't really exactly remember everything that was going on, but I am pretty sure we just used it. Like we probably had a newspaper in front of us. We probably had ink on our fingers. And so the gesture of throwing it across the room and using the word hurl to kind of emphasize the disgust. Yes, you use yak earlier. So yes, like you have a lot of puking imagery. This is a skilled, skilled piece of writing, okay? I mean, I, I'm glad I'm that you s- understand the subtlety of I'm where we're going. The nuance here. here, yes. This is the work of a true artist. I I'm surprised that you haven't stuck on and definitely not a metaphor. Oh, we were going to get there. (laughs) Just making sure. That was a lovely surprise. That stuck out like a sore thumb. (laughs) She dreams of past kielbasa, red-dyed animals, flesh and lard. And definitely not a metaphor. Put in brackets there. Um, What is going on there? So I'm sure you must know the Mary Oliver poem that everybody quotes all the time. You know, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? You know, let Mm. the soft animal of your body, blah, 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 blah. So people use animals and people use, you know, all kinds of things uh, to represent the body, to represent the the animus, you know, or the will. And, And in this poem, we just wanted to make it really clear that we're talking about an actual sausage. (laughs) because <laughs> yeah. i think we had probably ordered they had really good kielbasa they did they did and so i mean like i like it's funny there's a lot in this poem i do not remember but i actually remember everything we ate yep. the food was um, good the coffee the food was is, crappy but the food was good yeah i mean i dream of this place still um <laughs> but i also like yeah it's it's hard to get pierogies here in San Francisco. You can get like the yucky frozen ones and you have to cook it yourself instead of having like some nice lady with a thick, you know, Polish accent bring it to you with the sour cream. It's, you know, it's a whole, Mm. it's a whole ethos and I miss it. Well, because then you also have to um, caramelize the onions, which is always the part I don't want to do. It's, it's a thing. So this, this dreaming of past kielbasa is still true 30 years later. Yes. Well, I actually have a kielbasa in my freezer right now. I, I but because weirdly, I live in California, it's a turkey kielbasa, so it's really not the yeah. same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I actually live uh, about ten blocks away from an amazing Poli- place that makes their own Polish sausages, and that was I was going to try to go there today, <laughs> and I didn't even realize I hadn't thought about this in ages, and I don't. I was like, yeah, I really want to go, and then I'm like. Why? And now I realize why. Like, it's because I read this poem. You were prepping for this. Yeah. Right, right. The, the non-metaphor is definitely present in our lives. <laughs> As I'm reading that stanza over again, I wonder if you felt the need to put in, and definitely not a metaphor, because you're talking about a sausage, and then you go with shared and tender moments with the man. And so you're like, no, I'm definitely talking about the food here. No innuendo meant. <laughs> oh, I didn't even oh my go God. there. No? Okay. That's funny. No, I was, you know. It didn't even occur to me. That's, that's so hilarious. <laughs> well, no, I feel like I'm the only one with a gutter mind here. No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, that's actually. Cut this so- at all. You have to keep okay, it in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because usually Sean and I actually like. 
we're the ones with the gutter mind. So this is like all very, this is very new to me. And I it's kind of refreshing it's, it's not nice. to be the one. Yeah, I know. I know. You guys just really loved the kielbasa. <laughs> I mean, it is really good. It is really good. Yeah, I'm not sure why we. Like now it's so obvious. I think we probably put it in there just because we thought it would be ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's not a metaphor, I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. And partly we made a joke about, of, like, because I think a lot of these are sort of like, you know, things that like actually did come out of our mouths. And, sure. you know, and the way of, like, we just thought we're the funniest thing ever. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and so they made their way in and they probably, and some of them were probably, like, we're trying to remember why we're like, oh, my God, now I remember Topol. Like, I remember referencing it all the time. And I have no idea why we thought it was hysterically funny. Well, and I, and I think we were trying to start it with like, you know, being kind of openly cognizant of the fact that this is a poetic device and I want mm. you to know that we're not using it. Yeah. Right? I want you to know that I'm sophisticated enough to not use it. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. That chip on the shoulder freshman year of college uh, attitude. It's like, I now know mm. all things about writing. All <laughs> so. things. About all <laughs> sorts of things. All things. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Oh, this is this is beautiful. Thank you. Yes, yeah. I think it should be framed. <laughs> it really I, should. I think like people should learn this. <laughs> it should be memorized. Yeah, and absolutely. High school, and then, and then, yeah, and people should, yeah, people should just um, read it. Should just should recite it. Uh, Quote yeah, it at, along um, by memory along, alongside Emily Dickinson, you know? Absolutely. I mean, or maybe every time you eat, you know, like you take a moment and you read, you know, every time you eat some some sausage, you, you it's a ritual. <laughs> it's a ritual. Maybe we should license this poem out to Polish restaurants and they can paint it on the walls of their, of the interior. In Ukrainian, yes. You yeah. Know, it's, it's a thought. Um, the... <laughs> <laughs> I see where we're going with this. <laughs> well, I've, I've just also rem no. <laughs> reminded you of the the multiple ways in which you you reference barfing. Maybe a Polish restaurant doesn't want that on their oh, wall. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we even made cherry spread, which is like like a delicious thing. Seem terrible. <laughs> yeah, decomposing cherry spread that the FBI is investigating because it's such a it's such a crime scene. <laughs> and why the F I guess the FBI is the man. Like, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, and it also like part of me is like, were we hungover? Like, is that what the headache refers to? Are you really asking that question? Uh, no, I mean, yes. I mean, I think we definitely were. I think it's a rhetorical question, but I just want to make sure. Thank you, yeah. yeah. I'm going to guess that the headache... Um, it was a yes. I seem to recall tequila. Yes, it was probably tequila. Because, mm. yeah, because it was, it was the time. Was the the go-to, yeah. There's just a lot of evidence of that. <laughs> the headache, the vomiting, the ridiculous, um, like a very, very varied food choices. Um, yeah. yeah. So these coffee runs, as you met at Leshko's, were they in the morning? Like, was this how you you did breakfast, or, or you I mean, met this up? This could happen at any time of the day or night. Leshko's okay. was a twenty-four hour place. Wow. Um, and yeah. given that we were just visiting, it's highly likely it would have happened around brunch don't you think yeah Marina? oh definitely yeah because we would have like stayed out pretty late and slept in or stayed up late 
So you painted a picture of this being kind of a parody of of your your frustrated conversations and, and a way to just kind of get it all on the page, get it out there. Am I understanding this right, that this came through multiple sit downs at the coffee shop? Or was this all like one, like, we got to get this down now. We This is gold. I think it was one. We'd actually done this before. Yeah. Oh. So there's also a cheese poem. That explores power dynamics between men and women. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a major theme. Yeah, yeah. Hungry and hungover. <laughs> yeah, we're both very into, you know, we're both like love to write. We both, um, I know certainly my family were big, like we read a lot. There was a lot of poetry in my household. Sure. Um, and I think in, in Girl Shans as well. And she could speak to that. Um, and you know, and, and just like, re, just in general words and reading, even though I was born in the former Soviet Union. And so like, mm. that is a big, like, that was a big cultural component. So I think it was just, there was just a lot of, we really liked words. And that was a big part of our relationship yeah. was sort of finding the right words, talking on the phone, just a lot of words flowing. Yeah. Well, and being dramatic. Right. Remember, yes. we met at a theater, like a an after school theater program. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, this yeah. explains a lot. So <laughs> we did. The the drama is is an integral part of our friendship. I yeah. think. Yes. 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 Completely. And we it was we you do these interpretations of novels and ours was a tale of two cities. And I had <laughs> I had to play Charles Darnay. And then, but we did get to play Madame Defarge. And, I was Madame oh Defarge. God, and I, her, that was super uh, fun. Her, yeah. uh, God. Well, yeah, we were also the, the oldest and we were girls, so we were the <laughs> tallest. So they had to put... I had like I had to be Charles Darnay because uh, I had was the tallest person. Yeah, because all the boys were four feet tall. They were like twelve and tiny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we kind of ruled that. Like we own that place, and so we kind of just got to run it. I fact worked there later. Like we just oh, kind of wow. ran the joint. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Dickens brought us together. Dickens, you know. <laughs> just Dickens. Lots of Dickens. Yeah. We not yeah. a metaphor. Not a metaphor. Not an, actually, <laughs> literally not a metaphor. Actual. That yes, this is yeah. this has been great. Um, I we could spend so much more time on this poem, and now there's I'm, a lot here. Yes, there is. And now I'm um, I'm hoping that you can dig up that cheese poem. Maybe that will be one for when Dave's here. But. <laughs> I would be delighted to. I don't know where it is, but I'll go through the files. I think you sent it to me one time. Did I? Maybe, maybe it exists. Go through your email. I might have to. Okay. Well, we'll. If we can find it, it's. We'll wait with bated breath for that. It's a treasure. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to give some time to talk a little bit about where you've been since 1992. Because obviously, um, a lot has changed in 30 years. So you you currently work with Second Sunday Readings, is, and that's a, the context that you, you work a lot in. Um, mm-hmm. So do you want to talk at all about that before we, we kind of shift to uh, the end of the show? Or? Yeah, I would love to. So Second Sunday Poetry Readings is a series that I inherited. It was founded in Berkeley about five or six years ago 
by uh, a friend of mine, Barb Reynolds, and she had been hosting these in-person readings once a month with local poets. Um, she would pick three people and she would give them a time limit and say, that's it. But she would, her, her thing was that she would curate each reading. So she would make sure that each poet had something in common with the other two who were reading oh, cool. on that day which I have to tell you is really a lot of work. And so I've dropped that element. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because of COVID, I've moved the series onto Zoom. Mm. But the benefit of that, even though it was really nice to be in person and it was always in, you know, it was in a restaurant or a cafe, we could get a glass of wine or a snack. Being on Zoom enables me to invite poets to read who are all over the place. So I've had people in lots of different states. I've got a reader who came, she, she called in from Wales. I had a poet, or I have a couple of poets calling in from France. It's, it's it really exciting. And it, I feel like it's opening the world of poetry worldwide. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to toot my own horn too much. I don't have the biggest audience in the world, but I love being able to just look on Twitter and say, that poet is really cool. I want them to read for my series. And they always say yes. <laughs> so it's really nice. It's been great. And so, you know, we do it every, the second Sunday of every month and yeah, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited to come and listen. There's some really amazing poets. We had Reagan on nice. to read yeah. um, Pia Truha and we, uh, I'm getting Nicole Tallman to come read in December. Oh, good. So yeah. So it's, it's a nice like community building sort of event. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Follow-up question. Would you ever read this for your audience? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, if plied with enough wine, possibly. There you go. Yes. <laughs> you got to bring back they, the restaurant element there. <laughs> they, they tend to look for things that are, you know, serious poems yeah. that are, you know, like you're, you're really trying to write a good poem. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I still hold that um, you two were... were Trying for something. <laughs> that, yes, that's something. <laughs> what it was? Not quite sure. Laughs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, to me, the delight of this, which is, you know, if you were were to ask, like, is this good or is it garbage? Right. I, I actually would say that it's good, and I'm gonna. I say that because I feel like it succeeds in parody. Also, I don't mm -hmm. write poetry. And so, any, I mean, I do private, sure, like maybe sure. a little bit privately, but like very rarely. Yeah. And this is such a, like a cap encapsulation of a moment for me, mm. but I don't feel like that is something I expect any other human being to like to share. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I love that. I mean, beauty's in the eye of the beholder and this, like you said, encapsulate so many memories yeah. and so for you it brings back laughs it brings back fond moments and also very frustrating moments and so that's what I always find really surprising about these conversations and the conversations I have with Dave about my own garbage poetry is there is so much fun stuff in there that you've that by the end you're like you know what I like it mm -hmm. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Totally. I'm not going to submit this to Poetry Magazine or The yeah. New Yorker, but there are multiple contests around the world for bad poems. And I think this could be a prize winner. Honestly. I think this actually. I think this is in the running for sure. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, it's interesting just having watched Sean develop, like, just having known her for over 30 years and having this 
and still being this close, Mm -hmm. I think is a real gift. And so like this kind of encapsulates that for me. And then also to see her like develop as a, as such an amazing and powerful poet, you know, that's also fun. I mean, I know that there was some of this was really just for laughs, but it's just like even um, seeing, and you know, I, I think she'll be reading a poem later, but yes, yeah. uh, you'll see that she has come through, moved beyond this kind of writing. <laughs> well, you, you, yeah, you, um, you, you cued me up right for it as, as we kind of wrap up, uh, this, mm-hmm. this series, what better way to do that than with two really good friends sharing their bad poetry? I mean, that's how this this whole show started in the first place. So I, I want to thank you both for joining for our season two finale. And thank you so much for your passion for coffee, for conversations, and for the collaboration that created this uh this wonderful work. Um, this work. This work. Yeah. Okay. It's very neutral. This, this, I will. I will. I will refrain from hyperbole. <laughs> this work. Um, this delightful work. You are delighted you by. Yes. You can find Sean on Twitter at at Sean Essa. That's S I A N E S S A and at Second Sunday Poetry, and second is with the number two. And then, Polina, do you want to lift up any of your work or projects to the listeners? Um, yeah, my actual work um, sure. would be appalled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you can find me, um, I guess, on, if anybody really wants to reach out to me um, on Twitter, um, it's at Anilop, which is A-N-I-L-O-P. Just her name spelled backwards. Which is my name spelled backwards. I know it makes more sense now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, But I actually do want to lift up, uh, this is no longer my podcast, but this made me think of this because for a while, there's a podcast called Happily Ever Aftermath um, that I used to Hmm. co-host, but my co-host has has ran with it, Diana Rojek-Sconard, and basically the premise of the podcast is revisiting movies that you loved when you were the kind of impressionable age that would and younger that would write such a a thing and you can find that on twitter at at hemecast h-e-a-m-c-a-s-t nice Um, and it's called happily ever aftermath and it's a fun it's just like different people talking about their reliving their teenage years through art much like we just did hey yes it seems to work it just yeah it's it's very complimentary i love it that's great. Now, here at My Bad Poetry, we end each week with the words of a true poet. And as Polina suggested, Sean, you have honed your skills. And so I'm wondering, would you be willing to share another poem with us today? I would be delighted to uh, lift myself up from the morass and prove that I actually <laughs> am a decent writer. <laughs> More than decent. So thank you for the opportunity. Sure. This poem is actually one that is near and dear to my heart. It is, I think, very appropriate for the moment after the striking down of Roe v. Wade uh, last month. And it is kind of an homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it goes a little something like this. It's called Heritage Homage to RBG. A hundred years ago, a neighborhood friend tipped them off, helped my great-grandparents escape a violent erasure. Ukrainian Jews ran or died 
their villages obliterated in the pogroms, and even the name of their shtetl is lost. Women in dirty kerchiefs pushed their families through the woods, to the cities, to the boats where they boarded and weren't killed. My great-grandmother Charnia and Nusia, her husband, young and strong, gripped the wooden railing, nauseous, pushing toward life, toward a future, still breathing. Renamed Charlotte and Nelson in America, they brought the future with them. My grandmother carried over in utero, rocked on a ship through the immigration lines in Philadelphia, and kept pushing further north. Beverly Hannah was born five years before you. Like you, Joan Ruth, a dark-haired, blue-eyed beauty, also a scholar, a gifted economist. She told my father, her son, having children is the end of a woman's career. She didn't push, settled on teaching French, your husband more willing even then to step back and make room for you. Lucky. Vivian Jeanne, my own mother, trembling with a Catholic fear of health, of hell and strangers, pushed past the small town suffocation of a history of women staying home, the suffocation of the Oxford committee telling her she wouldn't get the PhD she'd earned because she had a husband who would take care of her. And why give a woman the degree a man needs more? So she fled, pushed away and onto a ship that sailed to New York from Wales with me in her arms, to sunshine, birth control, another master's degree, a career. A year and a half before you became a Supreme, I boarded a bus from New Jersey, headed to Washington, saw with 200 other college women, loud and giddy, our youth and strength bundled with scarves and mittens and homemade signs, we marched to the White House, the men in power, demanding our right to our own bodies, our lives. We felt such hope, it felt like a movement. But movements stall and sputter, Today is the hour of hope and desperation. Today we grind through the noon of bitter argument, grimaces and underbreath curses, when our children worry that our rage will leave them parentless. Your death makes us fear we will lose everything you've worked so hard to win for us. But we keep going, women pushing forward, regardless, despite, because of the struggle, wounds, barriers, prejudice, pushing for the rest of us, with us, the shtetls we come from, the families we love, we carry with us. Ruth, it's been a century, at least, and we are still pushing. Wow. <laughs> it's quite a little code. heavier. <laughs> quite the code. Yeah. One of the things that I didn't really even think about Sean was saying she was going to read this poem which mm -hmm. I love I realized like we wrote this poem a year before she was nominated actually and then took and then took up her seat that's right that's right 1993 and you know one of the conversations that we had a lot when we discussed this poem is kind of remembering a lot of that sort of political turmoil and mm. you know the anita hill hearings happening mm. right before and so that's why I, th I think it's such a good good coda to like this uh, kind of frustration and anger you know to something that is much more focused yeah um, and real and you know what it means to 
fight has changed for certainly me in 30 years, right? And the things I'm fighting for are very different. Yeah, it's it's a very poignant and just powerful piece that speaks right into the moment that we are living. And to think back of, of what you all were experiencing in 92 in a coffee shop and to think how far we've come and how much we have lost mm-hmm. in the last yeah. year is when I, when I wrote this poem for RBG, it was right after she died mm. last September. And I finished the poem and I had submitted it to a few journals. And as you probably are aware, the poetry world is just there's so many journals and yeah. so many writers that the submission process is kind of brutal. And so it didn't have any takers. And then I thought, well, it's probably the moment's over and you know this poem is no longer relevant nor will it ever be and so I, i'm shocked and honestly dismayed that it's relevant again so mm-hmm. but you know we write to we write to gain connection and we write to have people feel like someone is understanding what they're feeling and going through so you know if the, if that kind of helps anybody else feel like you're not alone in feeling despair or, or, you know, wanting to keep pushing. You know, that's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I mean, what we talked about with the bad poem is how it can be that moment of connection with a former self. Mm. It applies here as well. Poems translate, I think so well, emotions and, and, and helps people feel seen. So thank you for bringing that to us today. It was, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share it. This has been my bad poetry. Now go write some of your own bad poetry. Great. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a riot. Oh Oh my God. It's so much fun. My face hurts because I've been smiling the whole time. Rhyme free does matter. Thank you.